Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I am David, and welcome back to the Theory to Action podcast and to this Catholic Corner segment. In 2013, Pope Benedict XVI resigned his papal office, and Pope Francis was elected the 266th successor to the Apostle Peter. Now, there haven't been, there has not been a papal resignation in over 500 years, and you would have to go back to Gregory the Twelfth in 1415, and before that to uh, Celestine the fifth in 1294 to encounter a papal resignation. So the history is long and deep, but uh, there's just not that many papal resignations throughout the years. So thank you, Wikipedia. Yes, I did. In fact, fact check Wikipedia too. And when I, when I fact check Wikipedia's dates, you actually did quite well. So thank you for your most mostly accurate online encyclopedia, where in fact you do quite well with dates, but many other things you are horrific at. But nonetheless, we thank you. Now, many believed at the time that Pope Benedict, now Pope Emeritus, would have passed on to his heavenly heavenly reward by 2022. But in fact, that is not the case. His Holiness is at uh, age 96, is still doing remarkably well. We wish him nothing but the best of health and certainly praying for him. And in this Catholic corner, we are not going to chronicalize his life, but we are going to hit the high points because he has lived a remarkable life. And as most followers of Christianity in general and Catholicism in particular have noted in the past eight or nine years, looking back at his life, he is an extremely accomplished theologian, perhaps one of the most important in the last 200 years. In fact, so much so that he is often called now the Mozart of theology. Because of his love for Mozart, growing up very close to the Austrian border in Germany and having played the piano himself quite well, we hear when he was a youngster, evidently his brother George, uh, his older brother George, who unfortunately has passed on, was extremely good in the family. Um, In fact, we believe he was the best in the family from uh, all we can gather. But his younger brother... Joseph uh, is a deeply accomplished theologian. In fact, his writings span a lot of subjects, God, Jesus Christ, the church, liturgy, faith, and the culture. His, his writings are, are vast, wide, and deep. His writings are original. His thoughts are original. And... They will surely be studied for centuries after his passing. In addition, he, Ratzinger, that is, he has lived through one of the most interesting yet most difficult time periods in Christian history. 
from growing up under Nazi tyranny to becoming a priest and then attending and working working heavily on the uh, one of the most important documents coming out of the Second Vatican Council in the 60s, and then seeing the council's implementation, which in fact came off the rails, and then helping alongside St. John Paul II to try and navigate the church as the bark of Peter back onto the right path, back onto the right rails, then only to see modernity and the secular culture bash and buffer the Christian church from all sides. He has lived through some very interesting times. So for Cardinal Ratzinger, he's probably lived enough lives for three or four people. And if that wasn't enough, as most have described him as a very shy and thoughtful and yet deeply reflective man, it was then at the remarkable age of 85, he was then called by our Lord into the papacy, which was a cross that was quite heavy for him to bear. But for eight years, he carried it. He led the church with clarity, with consistency, and most especially with the cardinal virtues of prudence, charity, and love for the truth. And since Pope Benedict, Pope Emeritus, resigned in 2013, the church has been thrust into confusion, chaos, and bedlam. Which brings us to our book of the day, today's book and review which is Joseph Pierce's Pope Benedict XVI, the Defender of the Faith, which is aptly put. Catholics and non-Catholics would do very well to study this tremendous thinker, theologian, and holiness of a man. His monumental three-volume work of Jesus of Nazareth would be a good place to start. I am trying to get through volume one. (laughs) It's very deep writing. But for Catholics, and especially Catholics, who have been craving a deep reverential worship of our Lord and not the pseudo-fashionable beach ball hitting, altar dancing, horrific 21st century church music. And yes, let's face it, most of us know deep down inside of our heart of hearts that that music just does not satisfy or stir the soul. And we've been fed that crappy music for the last 30 or 40 years. And in fact, our church leaders and music directors have tried to convince us that that's the best we have. Nevertheless, if that is not you, if you are craving that deep reverential worship of our Lord throughout your a traditional parish, then nevertheless, I would highly recommend Cardinal Ratzinger's magnificent work, The Spirit of the Liturgy. Fantastic spiritual reading. It is the top of the mountain. And let me tell you, Ratzinger writes with great clarity. And in fact, let's pick up Pierce's book on the very subject of that magnificent work, the spirit of the liturgy. Let's go to the book. Quote, there is little doubt that one of the richest gifts that Ratzinger has bequeathed 
to the church is his tireless work in both word and deed to restore the splendor of the liturgy. As far back as 1975, only 10 years after the Second Vatican Council, Ratzinger was writing of the need to oppose the rationalistic relativism, confusing claptrap and pastoral infantilism, which were degrading the liturgy to a level of a parish tea party and the intelligibility of a popular newspaper. Is that not great writing right there? In 1984, almost 10 years after these strident words were first written, Ratzinger was asked whether he still stood by what he had said. Absolutely, he replied, adding the things had deteriorated further in the intervening years, so much so that many more liturgical treasures have been squandered away. There were, however, signs that the tide was turning. When he had written those words, many of his fellow theologians had been upset or at least surprised by what he had said, whereas now many of those people admit that I was right, Ratzinger said. Continuing his attack on the iconoclasm and vandalism of the liturgical modernist, Ratzinger wrote in 1981, quote, one shudders at the lackluster face of the post-conciliar liturgy as it has become, or one is simply bored with its hankering after binality and its last lack of artistic standards. The problem was the contrast between what the authentic text of Vatican II says and the way in which it has been understood and applied, most notably the disappearance of the use of Latin from the liturgy was in clear contravention of the specific teaching of the council in Sacrosanctum Concilium, which stated unequivocally that the Latin language is to be preserved in the liturgy and that care must be taken to ensure that the faithful may be able to say or sing in Latin those part, parts of the ordinary mass which pertain to them. The same document also insisted, in accordance with the age-old tradition of the Latin rite, the Latin language is to be retained by the clerics in the divine office. Having referenced the council's explicit teaching on the requirement for the retention of Latin within the liturgy and the divine office, Ratzinger cited the abandonment of Latin by fashion-oriented liturgists as another case of the all-too-frequent contradiction between what the council actually says and the actions carried out by the, by the modernist in its name. End of quote. Wow, is that not good writing? Just hits the nail on the head on every point. And if you're a Catholic that has grown up in the last 20 to 30 to 40 years, you know exactly what Cardinal Ratzinger is speaking about. This book was written in 20, 2000, um, the year 2000. So he had seen just, well, we take that quote from 1975 to 2000, 25 years of just pure rubbish that uh, most, at least in America, most parishes were conducting liturgically. Let's go back to the book for some more goodness. 
quote, the overarching consequence of the liturgical vandalism of the post-conciliar period was the universal dumbing down of the liturgy to the lowest common denominator of populist vulgarity. It is strange, Ratzinger observed, that the post-conciliar pluralism has created uniformity in one respect at least. It will not tolerate a high standard of expression. One is reminded, indeed, of Chesterton's prophecy more than 50 years earlier in Culture in the Coming Pearl, that the actual coming pearl was standardization by a low standard. (laughs) Chesterton. Chesterton is good. Chesterton was referring to the triumph of the trite and trivial in secular culture in its servile pursuit of the follies of fads and fashions. He could not have perceived in the 1930s that such narcissistic nonsense would penetrate to the very heart of the church's worship. The liturgy was not merely entertainment, Ratzinger insisted, nor was it dependent on, quote, brilliant producers or talented actors. Its power does not come from what we do, but rather from what, quote, is taking place, something which all of us together cannot, quote, make. In the liturgy, there is a power, an energy at work which not even the church as a whole can generate. What it manifestly is, the holy other coming to us through the community, which is hence not sovereign but servant, purely instrumental. The anachronistic and archaic way in which self-styled liturgists have tampered with the rubrics of the Mass had transformed the majesty and mystery of the liturgy in what Ratzinger described as a do-it-yourself patchwork which had trivialized, adapted to its own mediocrity, end of quote. Dang, that's just brilliant writing right there. I mean, between Joseph Pierce and Ratzinger, this book is a joy, was a joy to read. Let's, let's pick up more goodness at the bottom of the page. Many liturgies also lack any trace of beauty especially in a way in which traditional sacred especially in the way which traditional sacred music such as gregorian chant or polyphony has been abandoned and banished in deference to what ratzinger termed utility music new songs catchy tunes and other ditties ditties to the deity which rarely ascended above the level of the banal The only real effective apology for Christianity comes down to two arguments, namely the saints, the church has produced, and the art which has grown in her womb. In the splendor of holiness and art, the church bears witness to the truth through the good and the beautiful. If the church is to continue to transform and humanize the world, how can she dispense with beauty in her liturgies, that beauty which so closely linked with love and with the radiance of the resurrection. The church needed to be a place where beauty and hence truth is at home. The absence of such beauty and its eclipse by the shadow of ugliness would be disastrous. Without such beauty, the world would become the first circle of hell. End of quote. 
dang, this is just, I hope you will enjoy this book as much as I did. Just fantastic. Literally every page I have marked. And I want to share so much with you. Let's go back to the book right here. Quote, Ratzinger's plaintive musings throughout the 1970s and 80s were indicative of the his ongoing concern from the state of the liturgy in the post-conciliar period. These concerns would be expressed much more expansively and definitively in the spirit of the liturgy published in 2000. Here we go. A healthy liturgy, Ratzinger wrote, was necessary for a healthy society, whereas this is brilliant. Whereas law was essential for freedom and community, worship was essential for law. It is only when man's relationship with God is right that all his other relationships, his relationships with his fellow men, his dealings with the rest of creation can be in good order. That's just an incredible nugget of wisdom. This is as true of man's relationship with himself as it is of his relationship with others. Many, or rather without a life properly ordered and oriented toward God and worship, man becomes disordered, disoriented in himself, flailing and fumbling his way into the darkness and unfathomable depths of an unknowable ego. If man would not lose himself in God, he would lose himself in his self. There is no third course. Worship, Ratzinger wrote, the right kind with relationship to God is essential for the right kind of human existence in the world. It allows heavenly light to fall into our world. It lays hold in advance of a more perfect life and in doing so gives our present life its proper measure. A life without such anticipation, a life no longer opened up to heaven would be empty, a leaden life, and thus allowing heavenly light to shine on our world, it simultaneously allows our fallen world to rise to heaven with the resurrected Christ, who in himself, the temple of worship, the living body, which stands in the presence of God. Into this body he incorporates men. It is the tabernacle that human hands have made the place of true worship of God, which casts out, which casts out the shadow and replaces it with reality. The body of Christ is sacrificed and precisely as sacrificed is living. This is the mystery made known in the mass. Christ communicates himself to us and thus brings us into a real bond with the living God. This is, this is so important, this paragraph. The church's understanding of the eternal power of the liturgy expressed so eloquently by Ratzinger goes far beyond the modernist notions of the Mass as, barely, as being merely a meal or a gathering of people of God. The foundation of the liturgy, its source and support, is the historical posh of Jesus, his cross and resurrection. This once-for-all event has become the ever-abiding form of the liturgy. And he finalizes it here. The crucified and resurrection 
the crucified and resurrected Christ is truly present in the liturgy, not merely as a pious memory to be cherished or revered by the faithful, but as a real presence who transforms those in communion with him. End of quote. Boy, there's just so many good, good nuggets there. So after those long excerpts, which are so good from Ratzinger's book in the year 2000, I would remind you that the year 2000 was also the anniversary of our Lord's coming to the earth made man. It was a jubilee year, and Ratzinger's contribution and gift is often overlooked. As we've just seen, it's well worth going back and reading and reviewing again and again. It's a precious gift of light in a great time of darkness. As a theologian, Radzinger, for the last 50 years of his life, has looked at the world much differently. During that time, the world, and in fact, even some in the church, have exclaimed, liberation, liberation, liberation. They want liberation for man and his politics. They want liberation for man in his church. They want liberation for man in his freedom to do anything he wants to do. Liberation in the moral order at no matter the cost. It would seem that the world and the culture is screaming for liberation. And perhaps you might agree there are no moral absolutes. Therefore, we should have liberation. But remember, Christ said otherwise. Looking at his disciples, Christ asked the question, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Thankfully, Cardinal Ratzinger looked at the modern and growing crowd screaming for liberation for these last 70-some-odd years, and he defended the faith. He followed his Lord. He kept the commandments. Because it is precisely that moral law that's grounded in the commandments that offers the very liberation needed and is sorely sought. Just as one of the greatest encyclicals of Veritas Splendor, the Splendor of Truth, which we will see its 30th, 30th anniversary coming up next year, insist, one of the most takeaway quotes of that encyclical is this. Human freedom finds its authentic and complete fulfillment precisely in the acceptance of that law, meaning the moral law. And Cardinal Ratzinger defended that law against the repeated assaults against it in the name of liberation. In the year 1784, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart composed what many regard as his most brilliant masterpiece, Sonata Number no. 11. This Mozart of theology, Pope Emeritus Benedict, his greatest achievement is his full life and his defense of that splendor of truth. So let's go back to Joseph Pierce's book for one more final quote, and then we'll conclude this Catholic Corner segment. Quote, even as Cardinal Ratzinger was summoning, summoning the faithful to silence and prayer, his masterful book on the spirit of the liturgy was calling them to action. 
Even as he called the faithful to kneel for communion, he was exhorting them to stand and fight for the ancient traditions of the church's worship. Here at last was a leading figure in the church, the closest ally of John Paul II, who was prepared to take the fight to the monsters the monsters of modernity. Like a modern St. George, George coming to the defense of the Bride of Christ, a true dam, damsel in distress, he wielded his sword of truth and lance of reason in a battle to the death with the dragon of disorientation. End of quote. Wow. Joseph Pierce can just write. Uh, what a fantastic author. It's my first time reading him, but he is, uh, he is high up on my favorite authors list now. So with that, we're going to conclude this Catholic corner segment because we've gone far, far too long. And, uh, I hope you appreciate Joseph Pierce's short, but vital book talking about this great theologian and churchman. Let's just say this is part one of our celebration of Pope Benedict's life. There will surely be a part two, but for now in this Catholic Corner segment, let us appreciate this incredible life of a great Catholic theologian and philosopher and Pope who, observing the rough seas in the second half of the 20th century and early 21st century, we can say unequivocally in the end that he is the Mozart of theology and he surely is the defender of the faith. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this Theory to Action podcast. Be sure to check out our show page at teammojoacademy.com where we have everything we discussed in this podcast as well as other great resources. Until next time, keep getting your mojo on. Are you a voracious reader who yearns for a deeper understanding of your favorite books? Or perhaps you're a busy professional seeking to enrich your knowledge, but short on time. The Mojo Academy 2.0 is your perfect solution. Our revamped service now includes beautifully designed monthly written reviews and PDF format to accompany our popular audio reviews. These aren't just summaries. These are comprehensive and insightful explorations of each book, packed with the actual quotes from the book to enhance your understanding. With usually 69 pages per review, they are perfect reference tools to take your learning to the next level. Get your free Mojo Academy review in written format at teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes for that free link. Again, teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes, and you will see the link for the free written review. Get yours today.